Welcome. Today, we're going to be covering a couple of topics that I've been mentioning many times. We've covered it a few times, but we never really went into depth. We never did a systematic uh, review. And that is, well, the first one is uh, some comments about, um, about omega-3s. <clears throat> An appetizer today on omega-3s, just a quick single single slide comment on it. And then for the main course, we're going to be talking about intermittent fasting. You know, I've mentioned uh, several times that the New England Journal put out a really good article. I believe it was the day after Christmas in 2019. We're going to cover that article today. You know, here's one of the, the questions, for example. Okay, who on this channel or who watching has not heard of intermittent fasting? Everybody's heard of it. But what about the, uh, the impact of intermittent fasting on FOXO, uh, AMPK? What the heck is FOXO or AMPK? What are these biomarkers and what are we talking about? Uh, most people think intermittent fasting may just be a way of decreasing calories. And in fact, when you look back at a lot of the old caloric restriction studies, especially the ones done with lab animals, lab models. It turns out they were really more IF or intermittent fasting studies than they were caloric restriction. Now, why is that? We should cover that today in the topic about intermittent fasting. So uh, let's go through some of the other content and how to access the channel. Uh, the content on the channel, and then we'll get to those topics for today. Previous topics, injuries, discipline, and especially sleep. We had an interview with a patient, Dana Stewart. Uh, Dana's doing a lot of work in terms of providing this kind of information to the teachers of the United States, and uh, she told her story last week. We covered an article uh, a clinical trial on low-fat diet versus other diets for weight for weight loss. Now, one of the things to remember is it's not always what you think. And you had some of that with this article as well. Uh, it's sort of like, hmm, maybe you can lose weight, but what about the other things, the biomarkers and some of those things that we would get with fasting? That was not so much the topic of that study, but it was a good study and it surprised a lot of people. Take a look. Now, you, if you've heard it once, I don't know, maybe you've only heard it once. I, to me, I, I think I've heard it a thousand times, especially since 2018. When the American Heart Association said, look, if you've got a zero calcium score, you don't need to take a statin. And guys like me and David Wright, uh, other docs uh, that look at CIMT have often wondered, well, what about, what about soft plaque? You know, soft plaque does not show up on a calcium score. So what if you had, how often do you have a zero calcium score and it's because you had soft plaque and still had significant risk for heart attack and stroke? Well, 
believe it or not, that study has been done and we covered it a couple of weeks ago. So that's the sort of content you can get. Basically what we do is we help people understand the things that really are likely to cause death and disability. Heart attack, number one cause of death. Stroke, number one cause of disability. Dementia, rapidly uh, overtaking stroke is a cause of disability. Number one cause of uh, kidney failure, number one cause of blindness. All of these things come down to a common root cause. Diabetes, prediabetes, uh, technically, medically known as insulin resistance. In other, in other words, what's happening is, the, it seems like the first thing to go is our insulin receptors, mostly in our muscle tissue. And as those begin to wear out, get resistant, muscles begin to get smaller. Cardiovascular inflammation starts cranking up. The, the lining of our arteries starts uh, downgrading, starts uh, losing function. We start spilling protein in our urine headed towards you know, kidney failure problems. We start getting drusen in our eyes headed towards some of the blindness issues. But far more of us get a heart attack or a stroke before the other parts get us. You see, uh, these problems are only problems for the tissues that have arteries. In other words, everything. Arteries are our source of life. And arterial health is the critical piece. So we really need to be able to understand how to, how to study and how to, uh, how to evaluate plaque. You know, as we just brought up in that last topic, people think, well, calcium score. You know, you listen to Ivor Cummins' channel and you listen to some other places and they say calcium score is the thing. CIMT is garbage in, garbage out, so we, we ignore CIMT. That's one area where I would, um, I would disagree completely. Uh, calcium score does not show soft plaque. It's, very, it's a good study. I would clearly recommend calcium score before I, the standards, stress test, uh, angiogram. So, you know, plaque evaluation is a big deal. And for the most part in medicine, we're doing that wrong. So we've got a course which helps you understand very quickly how to get the right kind of plaque evaluation. You see, <clears throat> what's happened is uh, the vast majority of docs, two-thirds of the primary care doctors here in the United States don't know how to evaluate, diagnose prediabetes, let alone manage it. And that prediabetes insulin resistance, as we mentioned is driving the big killers, the big disablers. So you have to learn a little bit about these things for yourself. Um, I didn't make that information up, that statistic about two thirds of docs not knowing how to do it. It's in the science. Uh, some of my old uh, buddies at Hopkins started that and now Mayo Clinic, uh, Harvard, other, other places are all showing the same thing. Doctors do not understand how to diagnose this. Even the CDC is making it really clear. About 90% of us that have this problem don't even know it. So you got to learn some stuff on your own. That's what this channel's about. Uh, 
we're setting this up where our courses, which we used to charge for, we're making all of those free now. Uh, we're in the pro- we've got one that's free. We're going to set up the other three uh, to be free as well, just so you can learn what you need to learn how to uh, in, in terms of having a healthy life. And if you have questions about how to access these courses for free, uh, start sending in some comments. That'll help. Our team will uh, begin to understand how to organize around it, and we'll be, start getting information out about how you can do that. Um, so the subscription plans, we announced that a while back. Uh, that has been very, very popular. Um, <clears throat> the Speaking of popularity, uh, Again, we feel sort of like the dog that caught the bus. We said, you know, uh, we think there's a, a need for our kind of medicine, fee for value instead of fee for service, you know, whipping people in, patting them on the back, giving them prescription in 10 minutes and getting them out the door so you can run to the next patient. That's what you see mostly in most areas of the United States and especially in uh, lower Alabama. We said, you know what, how about, what if we set up some clinics where, or a clinic where we just did, we spent time, we talked to the patient, we began to understand what's going on with the patient. And we took half an hour, an hour, 45 minutes to begin to understand what's going on with that patient. Well, originally we were thinking about doing a halftime clinic down there. Then it turned into a full time. Then it turned into two, then three. Now we're up to six clinics. So again, we feel like the dog that caught the bus. A lot of good uh, docs doing some good work down there. And um, just be aware of it. We're starting to get people coming in from uh, from other states like te- Texas and Florida who have access to uh, to this network and enjoying what we do and profiting from what we do in terms of getting to a better health. Uh, the book, I used to badmouth the book, and then people said, look, you know, Doc, it's a good book. It was far more popular than I expected it to be. And that book tells you a lot of the details about how you should actually um, evaluate plaque, evaluate your risk. Because bottom line, hey, Doc, my my brother had a heart attack. Can we just do a stress test? Oh, that is the wrong thing to do. And this book goes into sometimes excruciating detail on the science on why that is the wrong thing to do. Now, <clears throat> as I said, the appetizer today is going to be omega-3 oils. There was a recent study about novel krill oils and their impact on triglycerides. Now, that was in JAMA, the Journal of the AMA, one of the top journals of the world for medical sciences. It was in January of this year. And Here's what they did. They did a post hoc uh, pooled analysis of the trilogy one and two trials. The trilogy trials originally one and two were set up for different purposes. But as often happens, once you set up a large uh, clinical trial, a large study, people can go back in. Usually the uh, researchers that were involved in building that database can go back into that database and look at other things that might be related. So this is what the authors did here. They determined the efficacy and safety of four grams per day of an omega-3 formula derived from krill oil as treatment for 
severe hypertriglyceridemia. They pulled data from two, so triglycerides, those of you who don't remember, the standard target for triglycerides is supposed to be 150 or less. My patients, uh, again, I, I tend to push harder, so I want it to be 100 or less. I had a patient uh, just yesterday who was up to 100, and he was frustrated that he was that high. I was too, and we had a lot of discussion about, um, about mostly carbs in the diet. That's a major driver. But again, uh, there's new information coming out which says, look, triglycerides often respond to um, omega-3s. So like this one, they pulled the data from two randomized clinical trials, including 520 patients. The blood triglyceride levels were reduced 26% at 12 weeks. In fact, let me um, make a quick note for that patient. I want to make sure that that patient's aware of this. Uh, blood triglycerides were re- reduced 26% at 12 weeks and 33%, a little over uh, one third at 26 weeks versus 15% and 21% from placebo at 12 and 26 weeks, respectively. So it was found to effectively decrease triglycerides with a safe and well-tolerated area. Now, one thing I want to, um, uh, to can't help but mention is Vasipa, icosapent ethyl. You know, we've reported on that many times. The uh, the maker of Vasipa, icosapent ethyl, uh, actually approached me and had a couple of their uh, scientists call me. I invited them to be on the channel, and then they sort of. I got nervous and went sideways on me. But here was, here was what the Amarin people said. Again, the makers of Vesipa. They said, we, we want to weigh in on this thing about um, mineral oils. You know, there was some, some argument about that. But most of all, we want to make the comment that we think it's because icosapent ethyl is um, an isolated EPA. The Amarin folks and the Amarin uh, experts have a theory that um, DHA, which is the other common omega-3, actually interferes with the positive impact of EPA. So I'm not going to go any further on that topic. It was They made a good case for it, but it's at this point still not proven. So if you have other questions about this, you can raise those in the Q&A. But before we do that, we go from the appetizer to the main meal uh, or lack thereof, intermittent fasting. So, OK, I get it. I've already overworked that analogy to meals and, and uh, main meals and appetizers. Let's just get to l- let me keep to the script here. Novel. Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> Effects of Intermittent Fasting on Aging and Cardiovascular Disease. As I said, this was a New England Journal article, 2019. Again, unless I'm mistaken, it was the day after Christmas. I remember seeing it, and I've referred to it so many times. And we were talking uh, with the content group about, you know what? I keep referring to that. Maybe we ought to go back and actually cover the article. This was a science review article. Um, Dan Longo uh, was the editor, uh, Rafael Cabo and Mark Matson were um, 
the authors of this specific article. Studies in animals and humans have shown that many of the health benefits of intermittent fasting are not simply the result of reduced uh, free radical production, the result of weight loss, but an adaptive cellular response, improving glucose regulation, stress resistance, and suppressing inflammation in the cell. Here, so then it went into some good detail on the cellular mechanism of IF, intermittent fasting. Total energy intake, diet composition, and length of fasting contribute to oscillations on levels of bioenergetic sensors. I often call them markers, but these are specific energy related. And this is the currency of energy within the cell, NAD, nicotinamide, uh, adenosine, uh, Oh, gosh. What? No, I'm not even going to go there. ATP, adenosine triphosphate, uh, acetyl-CoA. These are, the again, the currencies of the Krebs cycle, the glycolysis cycle, the equations, the metabolic processes that create energy for the cell, the energy we live off of. So regulation of cell function, stress resistance, Transcription of forkhead box O's. Had you ever heard of that? You may have heard of fox O's. Anyhow, AMPK. Sirtuins. You ever heard of sirtuins? You remember? Uh, uh, oh, what? Now I'm having a senior moment. I'm blanking on his name. He was somebody helped me out. He was the he wrote the book Lifespan. Uh, David Sinclair. He was very much involved in sirtuins. He's also been very much involved in these other uh, biomarkers and focus on energy. Because, again, as he says, and many of the rest of us say, the most popular uh, theory, the most popular examination of the mechanism of aging has to do with the energy production system. It's those mitochondria, those you know, I'm 65. I'll actually go on Medicare this this month. So I've got a bunch of 65-year-old, well, not really, but I've got 65-year-old cells that have 65-year-old furnaces in them. And if you've ever seen a 65-year-old furnace, yeah, it can still burn. It can still create energy. It still oxidizes stuff like wood or coal or or wood chips or or. Uh, or oil or whatever it's burning. In these cases, uh, not so much carbs anymore, but carbon uh, uh, input from um, a low carb diet, mostly fats and uh, proteins. So my little furnaces inside my cells are burning those. And just like a 65 year old furnace, you start getting holes in this in the casing and you get little burning embers coming out, leaving smoke, injuring other, other uh, organelles in the cell. Again, maybe I'm overworking a, an analogy here. Let me get back to the script. This causes low levels of amino acid, glucose and insulin. Um, the, it represses activity of mTOR. It results in inhibition of protein production and stimulation of autophagy. What does? Again, intermittent fasting. So the, aren't those important activities? Building cell uh, materials? Yes, those are important. We, um, we do want to have levels of amino acids, glucose, insulin, 
to build, but think about it and maybe read a little bit more of Walter Longo's work. He's, he's talking about it. And you look at his diets. He has low levels of amino acids uh, in the diet, low levels of glucose. Uh, part of the goal that we want to have is we want to put that cell, the, um, the growth mechanisms of the cell to sleep. There's another fellow, and I covered him. He won a couple of awards. He works at MIT, and he um, uh, discovered some of the mechanisms for autophagy. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about shutting down the growth mechanisms of the cell and having the cell start recycling those old beat-up furnaces, those old beat-up mitochondria that I talked about. And other organelles too, and you know, damaged parts of, in, of the endoplasmic reticulum, da damaged parts of other cell components. You want that cell to start saying, "Hey, I'm hungry, or I need fuel. I'm going to have to start going back to the junk pile and burning up junk to clean things out uh, to survive." Number one, as a cell, to get energy, and number two, what happens is that starts to clean things up. Number three we get some genetic stimulus to start using the actual proteins that help us accomplish that. So it represses activity of mTOR, the mammalian target of rapamycin, which is a key component. Uh, and again, I'm blanking on his name again. I keep getting a picture of the name of the guy that discovered mTOR and rapamycin. Uh, somebody help me on that. Uh, we'll get to it. I, I hope. Anyhow, uh, you, these things, this intermittent fasting actually starts impacting that. So you get up and for most people in on a practical application, for most people, when they say they're intermittent fasting, they're usually skipping breakfast. As Walter Longo has pointed out, it's actually healthier to skip dinner, but there are social components. You know, we're social beings and most of us do better skipping breakfast that we can just fit it into our lifestyle better. Uh, anyway, if you expand that eat, uh, that non-eating window, there's another way of looking at it. It is called TRE, time-restricted eating. Um, if you expand, decrease the restrictions, decrease the amount of time, the window that you're eating. And the most popular way is to, like I said, skip breakfast, go to eating a lunch and, and dinner between noon and, and four or 5 p.m. That slow, that decreases your eating window down to about four or five, maybe six hours. When you look at it compared to the old standard American diet, you know, eating a, some snacks, maybe in the morning, eating breakfast early, like seven o'clock, uh, then lunch and dinner, you know, you get three big boluses of food and then you get snacks in between uh, and then a snack at night, nine or 10 o'clock. And uh, you're getting six or eight meals, six uh, boluses of uh, insulin reaction and, um, your time, your eating window out of 24 hours, instead of being four to six, it turns into 18, even 20. So totally different perspectives in terms of our impact on our bodies. 
Now, metabolic adaptations to intermittent fasting. So that's what we're looking for. You keep doing this on a daily basis, uh, keeping that lower, uh, that increased uh, time restriction, a smaller eating window. Energy restriction for just 10 to 14 hours results in depletion of liver glycogen stores, not complete depletion. You're not going to go immediately um, keto, ketotic there, but you do get significant restriction. And obviously, as many of you know, many of you involved with extended um, fasting, sometimes it takes a couple of days to get all of that um, glucose in the liver or glycogen in the liver depleted. But again, what we're talking about is a daily small dose of fasting, intermittent fasting. Energy restriction for 10 to 14 hours results in depletion of liver glycogen stores and uh, transformation of triglycerides to free fatty acids within fat cells. I'm going to digress another minute here too and just raise a question and maybe predict a question not so much answer it. Those of you who, that, who get interested and focused on the triglyceride over HDL ratio know that one of the problems, the immediate early problem causing a decrease um, in HDL is you're losing large fluffy HDLs when you've got too much insulin going on. And that has to do with replacing um, replacing uh, cholesterol with free fatty acids in the, uh, those large fluffy particles. You then lose those large fluffy particles. If I've just lost two thirds of you, don't worry. I'll go back to the script in a second. I'm just going down a quick bunny hole on triglyceride over HD, uh, uh, HDL. So anyhow, the point would be, you would think that free fatty acids might be a challenge in terms of healthy metabolism. No, it's not. And I think the issue that we're going to find out is it depends on where the free fatty acid is. If the free fatty acid is in the uh, large fluffy HDL particles, that's a problem. If we're burning them over within the fat cells, that's not only a, not a problem, it's a good thing. So again, now that I've confused so many of us, let me... <laughs> With my digression, let me get back to the script. Energy restriction for 10 to 14 hours a day results in depletion of liver glycogen stores and transformation of, of triglycerides in the fat cells to free fatty acids. In other words, you're breaking down the fat that's stored in your fat cell. Free fatty acids released in circulation produce ketone bodies in the liver, which are then used for energy production. Energy restriction stimulates mitochondrial biogenesis, in other words, making new mitochondria um, and uncoupling. So mechanisms of improved organ function. So we're going to go a little bit deeper again in terms of the science of intermittent fasting. Cells and organs adapt to change from glucose metabolism to free fatty acids and ketones. What's the most popular term you hear on the internet? Fat adapted. You hear that all the time. People are saying, oh, yeah, I'm trying to get fat adapted. What you're doing is you're stimulating a transition from glucose metabolism to free fatty acid and ketone metabolism. And yes, your body uses different proteins to accomplish those different types of metabolism. 
You know, for example, a, a car needs a different kind of engine to burn diesel fuel than it needs to burn gasoline or that it needs to burn leaded versus unleaded or it's a totally different mechanism if it's burning energy. I mean, uh, electricity in a battery. So just like cars, we need to retool our engine in order to change our diet from glucose or carbs to free fatty acids and ketones, which is the, a low carb type of diet. So during energy restriction, cells adopt a stress resistance mode. It's that hermeneutics that we've talked about a few times. Is that the right word? Maybe not. And if it's not, somebody uh, help me out there. Um, stress resistance. During energy restriction, we get cells adopting a stress resistance mode through reduction in insulin signaling, signaling and overall protein production. So you get decreased protein production, decreased insulin uh, signaling. In other words, as we've said several times so far, you get a decrease in that growth component. I'm gonna digress just a quick second. One of the things that you wanna look for decreasing key uh, uh, bioindicator is IGF, insulin-like growth factor. That's what IGF stands for. And when you're... Um, when you're getting intermittent fasting and you're improving that, getting fat adapted, you are getting regular decreases in insulin signaling. And one of those in insulin type signals is IGF, insulin-like growth factor. So on recovery from fasting, eating and sleeping, glucose levels increase, uh, ketone levels plummet, cells increase protein production, and they begin the growth and repair. Intermittent fasting and exercise result in improved mental and physical performance. So if you thought I was gonna go through all of these uh, details over here and you were looking, uh, dreading it, not gonna do it. Now, <clears throat> Here's where they, the article is interesting. <clears throat> they got a little bit editorial here. What they started talking about was, well, if this is true in terms of science, why don't doctors know about it? Well, <laughs> number one item, intermittent fasting is not usually taught in medical school. So the, the training programs for the quote experts that are supposed to understand this just don't have it in there yet. That, you know, one of the major components of this article is a plea to go ahead and start changing physician training programs. Um, it has positive effect, uh, effects on obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancer, all the things that we study in this on this channel or we talk about. IF, uh, intermittent fasting prescriptions. It's a lifestyle prescription for early intervention are useful particularly for those with overeating and sedentary lifestyles. A patient can be evaluated by experts in nutrition, expert in uh, exercise and psychology, plus frequent contact with medical staff during a minimum of four month period monitoring body weight, glucose and ketone levels. So that fourth bullet is again, a plea. The first bullet is saying, we gotta get it in basic science for our doctors. That fourth bullet is getting to, okay, here's what our doctors on a day-to-day -day working basis need to be thinking about 
in terms of actually taking this to our patients. And as you see under here, he, they go into a little bit more detail on, you know, some potential um, uh, prescriptions for uh, intermittent fasting. You got a 5-2 intermittent fasting. You've got time-restricted eating, um, other lifestyle changes, things like that. So thank you so much for your interest. Uh, we've got a lot of people today. Um, and as I've said, I've mentioned this study so many times I needed to actually uh, cover it. So I need to change a couple of things on the screen here. Okay, good. We've got somebody actually started off with a, uh, with a super chat. Tired looking for name. Thank you so much, Tired. IF, um, that's how you do a super chat, by the way, if you're interested. So, I mean, as you see, we, we've got content that saves lives. I've, I support the vast majority of the costs associated with the channels um, with uh, seeing patients or our own uh, life savings. So it's nice to get somebody else jump in there and help us out a little bit. Thank you so much, Tired. You know, and he, here's one of the bigger areas for costs. Um, We've got folks, we've actually got another physician continuing to look at content and helping me on a regular basis with that. We've got, as you know, Gilbert's always there helping us with uh, co-hosting. Uh, Gilbert's also great at graphics, um, Aspen uh, video editing, getting that interesting uh, B-roll uh, background in there. And Michelle's running the whole thing. Then Sam's in there working on how to how to get this out there and available to people. And the bottom, I've gotten, a, I've gotten two comments again, just over the past 24 hours, both of them from patients where they said, boy, I have to tell you, the channel is so much better. And they both said the same thing. They said, yeah, it was good back in the old uh, shaky paper days. Uh, but the content was good. The, it was hard to watch. And, you know, it's still kind of hard to watch and listen to. I don't have a, the best verbal skills. But again, you've got guys like um, like Gilbert who are out there helping, uh, making it much more professional in terms of the presentation. So thank you so much, Tired, for uh, helping, helping us out. John Tocho, good morning, John. Good morning, um, Bart. I think from New Jersey, Robert Weiss from the North Georgia mountains in the U S the other Georgia. Uh, we've got Terry Dixon. Uh, Wayne H sunny Minnesota, Minnesota. Well, for those of you outside the U S in the U S we like to make fun of each other's, uh, or poke a little fun at each other's accents. Uh, Minnesota was uh, is fairly cold compared to the rest of the uh, continental U.S., you know, the big 48 states, or the 48 states, not Hawaii and Alaska. And it, uh, Minnesota was uh, populated by folks from um, Scandinavia originally. And so there's a little bit of a Scandinavian twang from a lot of folks that live there. Margaret D. Speaking of North, uh, Winnipeg, Canada. Thank you so much, Margaret, for uh, for speaking up. Gator, 
Good morning. Also in Georgia, but the metro area. Okay. Instead of the mountains, unfortunately, I would agree. You know, I'm from South Carolina. I've spent more time. I've got family that's lived in Georgia, uh, spent more time than I want trying to drive through Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta is one of those places where you want to be away from. Bambi. Good morning. Northern California, the Redwood Coast. Oh, for a long time, my favorite area of the country. I'm so jealous. I've spent many, many hours running through Muir Woods and running the Dipsy Trail. At some point, maybe we should talk about the Dipsy Trail. GLR, good morning from sunny Florida. Got a lot of folks from Florida. Thank you so much. Jonathan Hull from the San Francisco Bay Area. I've done a good bit of work with Google and some of the other folks um, located at San Francisco. And, you know, there's some areas there, you know, some areas in Oakland, some areas that are kind of challenging. But overall, I still uh, I still love the uh, San Francisco area. S55B, another good morning from Florida. Terry Baranowski, can you spell those? Uh, yeah, I don't I spell what? Uh, Omega-3? Uh, uh, Vasipa? V-A-S-C-E-P-A? I-C-O-S-A-P-N-T-Y-L. I did okay in the spelling B in the what? sixth grade, but not very good. I actually, I remember I lost, I lost the count in the county spelling bee very, very early because I got the word assassin and I was trying to be overly polite. I didn't think it would have two copies uh, of your backside in the same <laughs> word Anyhow, Gator, glad you pointed out how old caloric restriction studies were really IF. Due to a recent paper that claims IF really has no benefit over uh, CICO, I guess you're, oh, calories in, calories out. When it came to weight loss, ignores insulin response angle. Yes, we actually covered that um, a couple of times, and it actually was part of that um, low-fat uh, uh, diet uh, thing as well. It just neither, These other studies are just looking at weight loss. They're not looking at the healthy, uh, the biomarkers of health of cell metabolism. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, okay. Thanks, Gator. Uh, Warren Crow, watching from an Alabama Starbucks. Where at in Alabama? Because you know what? Um. We're not just in lower Alabama anymore. We're in uh, central and northern Alabama. And we've got some stuff which we'll announce maybe in a few in a few weeks. Um, there's change afoot. We may get into we think we've been growing fast already and we have. But we may uh, grow a lot faster over the next year. So, Weisbrot Dove, Weisbrot Dove. Good morning from Israel. Good morning, Weisbrot. Uh, I've got uh, significant patients and some friends either in Israel right now, from Israel, and some of them are, you know, routinely commuting back and forth. So, glad to have you. 
Uh, I think uh, Gilbert put that out. Uh, click here to learn more about uh, our content. Warren Crow, wow, free classes. Thanks. You're very welcome. And, you know, it's free. I could hide behind it and say this is all about uh, being nice. And really it is overall. But there's, there's financial uh, support for doing this as well. At the end of the day, um, we end up doing better when more people watch, more people in, get engaged in what we do. That's part of the reason why we've offered so much content for free in the past. Because once you begin to start understanding what's going on, you start looking deeper. Because there's just not the sources out there to make to deal with this information and to help. Joseph Bates, after you fixed your type 2 diabetes, I think chronic kidney disease, and lost 200 pounds and achieved a triglyceride to HDL ratio of 0.76, what do you suggest next? I have massive placking all the way down to my feet. I think you're talking about calcium score there. I've never seen the... Uh, the ac the initials C or acronym CACCT, but it fits with calcium score, coronary artery, calcium CT. Maybe that's what that means. 5,000 in 2020, an ICD have implemented uh, last December. So number one, thank you for sharing so much of what you've shared. In fact, I had two patients this way. One of the more common reasons for coming to see me as a patient is that somebody gets a positive calcium score and they get a big one, like a thousand or more. And, you know, I'm, like I said before, I'm 65, uh, especially men in my generation don't really cry that much. Uh, won't go into reasons why, but I can't tell you the number of times that men have come to see me. They've said, yeah, I got a calcium score of 1500. Uh, I'm getting my affairs in order and, and tears come to their eyes. And we, you know, they're worried about dying. And I keep saying, calm down. You're, you do what you need to do. We're going to take care of this. You're going to, you're going to just cut the feet right out from under your cardiovascular risk. And we get them to work. They lose 40 pounds. They go back. They say, you know, I'm going to do what John did and get a big decrease in my calcium. And in fact, what, you, what usually happens is they get a big increase. And so things just, they don't understand that uh, improving your risk, decreasing uh, risk, uh, losing those, those fat pounds results in uh, calcification of of soft plaque. So there's so many things that you've brought up. One is, you know, these people that I'm talking about, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, even 4,000, and yours, I think yours may be the highest I've seen, heard of, calcium score 5,000 points. And you get comfortable with that and you begin to realize, you know what? Yeah, I got plaque, but it's stable. And I'm checking it on a regular basis. I'm making sure I don't have uh, soft inflamed plaque and I'm good. And so it takes a while to make that, to make that transition, to get through that, but that's a great place to be.
So number one, you know, it's like I do with so many of my newer, newest, newer patients. They come in, I say, gosh, you know, you've got plaque, but I look at your insulin survey and it's not too bad. It doesn't really support that kind of plaque. And they say, well, Doc, you need to know I lost 30 pounds. I lost 50 pounds. I lost 150 pounds. So you start making these changes and it starts correcting things. You're doing great. And that's what I end up saying. And then they say, just like you did, Joseph. Well, that's good. I expect you to say I'm doing great. And I know I'm doing great. But what can I do next? And I will tell you this, Joseph. I haven't met anybody yet who could not improve where they were, what they were doing, improve their cardiovascular risk. Now, did you give me enough information to tell what you can do next? No, you didn't. You're doing some really good stuff, but I'm sure we can all do better. Uh, Talal. Great. Thanks, Doc. Warren Crow, Jubilee. Ang Don. Spot on. Pre-diabetic is the source for everything. Thank you so much, Ang. Warren Crow. I'm going to Gulf Shores to Jubilee while beaching. Oh, neat. Very good. Glad to hear that. Uh, tell them that I sent you. Uh, see you at Gulf Shores State Park. I think that's what that is. Monique Robinson. The courses are so informative. Thank you so much, Monique. You know, I did those a couple of years ago. We've updated them. We've done a few things. Uh, Chris, when he was working with us, did some really good work to make it um, the text part much more readable. Um, so again, back to your point. Thank you for sharing this information. The cardiovascular inflammation course has been very, very helpful. Monique, again, it's so nice. It's sort of like the book. I keep bad-mouthing things, but then when somebody who's actually taken a look at it says, no, wait a minute, these things are good. It's very helpful. I appreciate it. Lee Acapulco, or Leo Acapulco, good to hear from you again. I was just in Iceland on vacation, and in the breakfast buffet, they have a bottle of Icelandic cod liver oil and beetroot juice, so you can have a shot. It tastes good. Um, check the carbs on the beetroot juice, and uh, be careful if you're drinking a lot of cod liver oil. It's got a lot of vitamin D, and vitamin D is good. It's one of the top two supplements that I recommend. But <clears throat> both of those top two supplements, you can get too much. You can get injury and death. Uh, uh, with uh, vitamin D, you can, you know, levels way over 100 have resulted in kidney damage. And, you know, I, one of my patients this week, same thing, had some, uh, had previously had some kidney damage from that or a problem with it. Now, if you're listening closely, you're saying, okay, doc, what's the other of the top two supplements? The other one is niacin. And yes, niacin can cause some injury too, especially with the liver. Uh, so you want to make sure that you, first of all, need these. Almost everybody needs vitamin D3. Um, but again, you have to watch your levels. Bart Robinson, I've been taking a liquid fish oil recently. It has a lemon flavor, but I wonder of the purity and potency, and if it's really helping any, but my triglycerides are not high. Well, you know, we used to say, and I think there's still some validity to it. Uh, when I review the information from Am Ameren, 
excuse me, Ameren Consultants and others, EPA is where you probably do want to focus. You want to try to get as close to a gram of EPA as you can and maybe decrease some of that DHA. So uh, Warren Crow's helping me out. Nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. Thank you, Warren. NAD. Those of you who may remember, I was struggling over the science term a while back. Uh, Pavel Korda, thanks for your amazing job. Thank you so much, Pavel. We appreciate that. Warren Crow, invite David Sinclair to a, uh, a session. You know, it's a good idea. I, you know, I've, I've been watching Lex Friedman recently, and he's a he's an AI specialist at MIT, and his stuff is really really good. The quality of his stuff comes from the quality of his visitors. I've just been intimidated. To be very frank, I've been intimidated by uh, uh, asking that level of person to appear on the show and actually even finding him. It's a good idea. I'm beginning to develop an appreciation and uh, desire to do that. Thank you for calling me out on it, Warren. Lucian P. Most people can only fast for 20 hours. Few can fast for days like the literature suggests. Don't I know it. You know, I've done a good bit of that for years. I've done like a 28 to 40 or 24 to 48, 36 hour fast, even 72 hour fast, but uh, 24 to 48 hours or 36 to 48 hours um, weekly. I'm not doing that right now. Um, I'm into more of an IF stage, intermittent fasting stage, but um, it's hard. You know, when people ask me, what can you do next? There was somebody that asked a few minutes ago, what can I do next? Let me ask you, are, have you done prolonged fasting? If not, that's something to consider. Get a Freestyle Libre or, or a Dexcom 6 or 7 or, or whatever's the most recent. Start watching your blood sugars, the things that make it go up. Eat, sleep, and exercise to the glucometer. And again, don't don't look at the limits they're talking about. They set those limits for people that um, uh, that have out of control insulin dependent diabetes. That's not what. That's too late. By the time you have that level of stuff, it's not completely too late. But by the time you get there, you should have gotten a CGM a long time ago. Actually, one of the things we do is. I'm sorry, I digressed again, and I went down the, the bunny hole of talking about CGM, continuous glucose monitoring. I provide that for a lot of people. In fact, I have, I have arguments with a lot of, a lot of groups. Uh, the CDC underreports the dangers of uh, insulin resistance, prediabetes, diabetes, and the prevalence of it. Uh, the FDA, I've got several arguments with them. Number one, I think they should not require a prescription for metformin. Number two, even more so, I think the FDA should not require a prescription for CGM. Uh, it used to be the only CGMs that were out there was the Dexcom. Then uh, Abbott came up with the Freestyle Libre. And now it's just like these things are blossoming where you can get continuous glucose monitoring. What is going on is this. Think about it. 
You know, if you hear about it in terms of car safety, they, you know, you, you go to this, you have to take those state safety courses when you're in high, or you may take those safety courses to decrease your uh, insurance when you're in high school or your high school students may do that. What's the thing that they say once, twice, over and over and over again? Speed kills. Why am I going down that bunny hole? Just give me a second. So speed kills. That's what they keep saying over and over again. Well, at least you've got a speedometer from the day you first start driving. You know the major thing that's going to kill you is going to be speeding. We don't have that with, with health. The thing that kills is having is these blood sugar spikes and people that have blood sugars 180, 200, hour after hour, day after day. And they don't know it because they don't have a speedometer in their car. That is what CGM is all about, continuous glucose monitoring. So, you know what? At this point, Lucian, you brought up a really good point about fasting. I'm not sure how I turned that uh, and went down this bunny hole about CGM, but uh, you're right. There's still a lot of things that most of us can do and very few of us have actually done. At the very least, lower insulin and blood sugar spikes is good. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much, Lucian. Warren Crow, IF, affected by cryotherapy. That's a good question. I know on Joe Rogan and some of these other very popular uh, sites, they talk about things like cryotherapy. Let me say this. I mean, you, you may have picked up on some of my, you know, my nonverbals, like, you know, that's not well researched. Well, here's the thing. Uh, heat shock proteins and uh, temperature label, label proteins, there is science there and there is valid science in those. So you look at saunas, you look at cryotherapy. There's actually evidence. Uh, Rhonda Patrick found, found my fitness She's a great person for covering both of those items. I haven't covered them. I've covered them a little bit, but not a whole lot. But I will tell you, when you start looking at some of these uh, bioindicators, uh, FOXO, AMPK, some of the others, they start looking at those, and uh, there is some significant evidence that both cryotherapy and saunas make a positive difference. That wasn't exactly the question you asked. You said, is it affected by cryotherapy? I've never seen anything that put IF together with cryotherapy. It's an interesting idea. And I would assume that it's sort of like um, many of the other things biologically. It's like the question is, is there an additive effect or a multiplicative effect or a subtractive effect? I don't know the answer. I wouldn't at all be surprised if it was a multiplicative effect, but I'm not going to try to guess on that. HMS, thanks for spreading the light. Thank you so much, HMS, for your interest. Rose, I eat last meal at 7 p.m. and eat at 12 or 2. So, Rose, you've got a five to seven hour time restricted eating window. Thank you so much for providing that example and sharing it. Tired looking for name. IF, you, oh, that's a, another super chat. Thank you so much, Tired. IF, usually OMAD. For those of you who don't know what OMAD means, that's one meal a day. That is a 
significant level of time-restricted eating. Time, uh, OMAD is, time restrict, is part of time-restricted eating, and time-restricted eating is very analogous to intermittent fasting, closing that window of eating. I think uh, two, mod, uh, uh, two meals a day on weekends. As always, thank you very much for great content. You're very welcome, uh, Tired. As always, thank you so much for your attention, your participation, your comments, and uh, super chats. Very, very helpful. Jan Pruitt, I've only heard of hermeneutics and stuff. You know what? You're <laughs> as soon as I said that, I thought, no, that's hermeneutics. Uh, here's what the word, the concept I'm trying to think of is where you put a little bit of the offending thing like uh, heat and your body starts developing. Uh, it stimulates the body. There's a word for this and I can't think of it. Somebody help me out. It's where you uh, stress the body just a little bit and the response to that small amount of stress creates growth. It's like going to the gym and pushing yourself hard through exercise. There's a generic term for that. And you're right. It's not hermeneutics. Well, I'm confusing my interests a little bit. Gro's got to check the insulin res resistance. Marion Barry, thanks. Love. Thanks for the friendship. I'm sorry I contacted you like that. My name is Suzanne Santos of uh, Austrian origin. And I live in France. I suffer from serious illness that condemns me to de certain death. Liver and uterus cancer. Savings fund of half a million euros and a young eight-year-old dog I'd like to donate. Someone trustworthy and honest. Hmm. That's, uh, don't know quite how to respond to that, Miriam. And all of a sudden, my, here we go. Pavel Korda, I'm a health Practiker, practitioner, I'm spreading all I learned from you. Thank you so much, Pavel. I appreciate that. Rose, what's that mean, Jan? Hmm, not sure where that went. Fort Worth Westside, good to hear from you. Yeah, <laughs> you guys are right. Thank you so much. It's not hermeneutics. Somebody's gonna, gonna interpret my silly babbling and figure out the word, the concept, the medical concept I'm trying to come up with. Uh, Chuck Rogers, good morning, Doc. 68 fit intermittent fasting. Uh, any thoughts on daily Viagra usage to stave off Alzheimer's? So <clears throat> I will tell you this, you know, I've, I, this is not the first time I've heard about it. I haven't heard about it a lot, but uh, uh, it, it, there's, it's more than just, okay, well, let's have, you know, let's have a fun, exciting life. It's, uh, the Viagra getting more um, what, vasodilation and is that helping in decreasing Alzheimer's? That's totally unproven at this point, but uh, I'm guessing there's a lot of people that are really enjoying uh, the experiment. But I'm, but, uh, anyway, Rose, doing this for years, good report on test, but irregularities. I just, Rose Hart, I, I'm not, not connecting. Jose Fontal. Hi, Doc. When I take niacin after a carby meal, I feel little to no effects. But on an empty stomach, I'd be burning in, in the fires of hell. For those of you who haven't taken niacin, niacin, it has a thing called prostaglandin. 
and the prostaglandin is like a locally uh, acting hormone. And so what will happen when you take niacin, you get what's called a niacin flush. You start getting this burning um, and it burns. Uh, and what's going on is that prostaglandin has reached that part of your skin. It's opened up the uh, small arteries and you're getting that burn. You're, it turns red. I remember the first time I tried niacin out, I went to, to, I, I went to a, a choir practice and all of a sudden, I mean, this was an hour or two later, all of a sudden it felt like somebody was scalping me. It felt like they were pulling my hair off and just, so that's a problem. Thank you, Jose. Now what I do, I do, I recommend one of two different types. I'm not uh, financially associated with either one of them. Uh, one of them is rugby, R-U-G-B-Y. The other one is, um, Endurison, E-N-D-U-R-A-C-I-N. Both of those are, I think, globally available. They're clearly available on Amazon. That's where most of my uh, patients get them. And what they are is they're niacin, but they um, they don't make the mistake of adding uh, lepropriant. Lepropriant was a chemical that was added to niacin in the past to make it stop burning. Well, you know, like often happens, then they started watching it and they started finding that the thing that stopped the burning also stopped the positive impact of niacin. Niacin is the only thing that decreases triglycerides, decreases LDL, increases HDL. Uh, and most of all, and my most common use for it is for patients with LP little a. So thank you for the opportunity to go down that digression, Jose. Hope that helped. Now, uh, as usual, I never really got to your question. Your question is when the best time to take niacin. It, um, there is no good time to take niacin. You can try several different things. Uh, one is taking it before you take a shower or take a bath because that can help decrease that uh, thing. Does it help a whole lot? Not really. Uh, another time is a lot of people take it before they go to sleep at night and they think they sleep through it. Again, that may help a little bit. Not so much. You can try it. Some, for some people, it does help. Boggy pepper, bogey pepper. My memory glitches are more upsetting to me. I watch you just let it roll off your back. <laughs> yeah, a good habit for me to adopt. Thanks. Well, here you go, bogey pepper. Thank you for acknowledging that. And thank you for the compliment. Yeah, I've got two perspectives. Number one, um, I, I do cover a lot of science, a lot of details. So it's like, yeah, at some point I probably am going to, uh, uh, to start going off that deep end. And then I do get frustrated with it, but it's like, if I got frustrated with it to the point that I couldn't do this, that would be, you know, again, I get a lot of feedback from folks that this content is saving lives. So, you know what, even if I look, ugly and dumb. I'm, if I'm able to save a life, I'm going to do it. But it, here's a, a bigger thing and uh, maybe even a little bit more of an issue. I've had a long time to get used to this. I first noticed this when I was in the fourth grade, 10 years old. So my family of origin doesn't have the greatest verbal skills anyway. Um, 
Anyhow, enough about me. Thank you so much, Bogey Pepper, for the compliment. Margaret D., please hit the like button. Thank you so much, Margaret. We've had 130. We've got 115. Only one like button. Dang, you know what? Like buttons don't, don't cost anything. It's not like a super chat. Thanks so much for the reminder, Margaret. Rose Nashville, her. B. Flint, Kinderhook, New York. Thank you. Hello, Dr. B. Hello, Ken, uh, B. Flint. Weissbrot Dove. Good morning from the Holy Land, Israel. I had a blast. Uh, my wife knew I had studied a little bit of... I went to the Baptist College at Charleston. Now it's called Charleston Southern University. And if you go there, you have to take some good Bible classes. So I got a really good... Well... I, I've done some other stuff too. I've actually read the the Bible not once, but like five or six times, seven times. And it's interesting what you get out of that. And I'm, I'm again, I apologize. I digress. We saw so much interesting stuff when we visited the Holy Land, and my wife, who knows me and work and work, works with me every day, talks to me every day was surprised about, you know, all the stuff that's there and some of the stuff I'd heard of. So it's an interest area for me. Thank you so much for mentioning it. Dan Mitzloff, good morning from Sebring, Florida. Thank you for all your kind, helpful guidance. Thank you for the acknowledgement. Brendan Lenane, not sure if it's due to my Northern European Irish ancestry, but I cannot tolerate avocados or olive oil. That is interesting. You're the first person... I think that I've ever met who can't tolerate avocados or olive oil. Hmm. Items every practitioner advocates. Not heard of anyone who does not recommend. Me either. Am I missing out? Uh, you're missing out. Yeah, you know, those are the two. I mean, this is the staple. I've, I've demonstrated personally that you can go, uh, Not a, you know, they say, uh, this may sound like a digression. Just hold on for a second. Um, they say that, well, if you're going keto, it's all animal fat, you know, an animal diet like, uh, like carnivore. And, and if you go, uh, no animal or plant-based, it's going to be high carb. Some of that, uh, tendency is true, but it's not entirely true. I've demonstrated that you can go low carb, even, uh, keto on not only a plant-based, but a vegan diet. Now, if you do that, though, you're going to have to be very comfortable that you're going to get a ton of your calories from plant oils, the healthy ones being avocado oil or olive oil. And avocado is better for cooking because it's more heat stable. Anyhow, so, yeah, that's a big deal. Sorry to hear that, Brendan. Tammy, I'm from South Carolina, too. Well, great. And for those of you who don't recognize that, purple and orange paw print is from Clemson, one of the other big universities in South Carolina. The, uh, the other big one is, is uh, University of South Carolina and their, uh, their uh, animal, I'm blanking on the term, is a chicken, the fighting Gamecocks. Michael Sanders, good to hear from you, Michael. I'm wondering if IF is appropriate all the time 
or for me getting long in the tooth is three meals a day of 30 grams of protein to develop muscle and correct sarcopenia is more appropriate. Well, you bring up a really good point, Michael, and <clears throat> it deals with an issue, some of the balancing or competing priorities that many of us have as we age. One of the things that we have, and as and you mentioned it, is loss of muscle mass. Well, you know, assuming I'm correct, and I, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of people argue. Well, there are a lot of people that argue that. Anyhow, let's don't get into that. Let's just say insulin resistance is a, is the major cause of death and disability. Well, one of the major underlying uh, safety valves for insulin resistance is metabolically active muscle mass. Well, you want to decrease body fat, but you want to increase muscle mass. Do you just want to completely lose weight? Well, you know, a lot of people get too hung up on losing weight in there. You know, uh, I had a patient yesterday who's always been into, you know, I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger with big muscles. And the reality is, especially with men, you can get too hung up on that. You want metabolically active muscles. There's a fellow named um, Richard the Ant Hawthorne. And I, someday I'm going to show... Well, actually, I did a video on him and Arnold. Uh, and Richard the Ant is called the Ant because he's got several world records for picking, lifting, deadlifts, bench press, uh, I think squats and some other things multiples of his body weight. He weighs like 135, 145 pounds, but he's lifting like 650 pounds multiple times. And so the point behind that is don't get too caught up in terms of having, you know, a BMI of 25, something like that. I mean, you clearly have a lot of room and I'm not saying that's what your BMI is, but I tend to see that people say, when I get below a BMI of 25, everybody starts telling me I look skinny. Well, actually, our the way we look, our, our, you're gonna if you're at a healthy weight, you're usually gonna get a few people telling you you look too skinny, you look sick. If you're not hearing people tell you that, you're probably not thin enough. And don't worry about getting thin because, like with Richard the Ant Hawthorne, you don't need to have giant muscles to have strong metabolically active muscles. And that's what we want. Why do we want metabolically active muscles? And what does that got to do with insulin resistance? Active muscles bypass ailing insulin receptors. Let me repeat that. Active muscles, metabolically active muscles bypass insulin receptors. So think about those as you continue to worry about weight loss, muscle mass, things like that. I'm more concerned about the muscle uh, uh, <clears throat> the balance of muscle to fat and the metabolic uh, activity of that muscle tissue than I am actual just muscle mass itself. And I need to really start clarifying that. <clears throat> it's a good point. Thank you for bringing it up, Michael. We've got, ooh, we've got a lot of, a lot of interest today, a lot of questions. I'm going to try to get through a few more, but I don't think I'm going to get through everything. Uh, Bambi, I used to live on the Dipsy. Oh, gosh, Bambi, how could you move away 
from the Dipsy Trail. Those of you who haven't seen the Dipsy Trail, you got to look it up. Barnett Roy, good morning from Safeway. Is it South Florida? Would not miss your shows. Well, thank you anyway, Barnett. Not sure where Safe Safeway is, but thank you. <clears throat> is OMAD safe after quadruple bypass surgery? Well, <clears throat> yes. I mean, I struggle. You know, I, I, I sit there and part of my bells go off saying, well, you know, don't tell somebody how to, you know, don't give somebody a prescription over the Internet. And I don't think this is. I, it's like <clears throat> OMAD's safe no matter. I mean, there are very few situations where OMAD would not be safe. Uh, one of them would be if you're taking insulin, uh, you need to be thinking about drugs that might decrease your blood sugar. So loving your growth. Well, thank you so much, Warren. Leo Acapogo, what's what about growing more and coming to Orlando? Leo, we had an event in Orlando right before the pandemic. In fact, people were starting to ask about that bug. It was like February what was that, 2020? Um, I've talked to Janice a few times about doing some more events. She was the one that tended to organize them, Janice and Michelle, and uh, those are a big deal. And part of the problem is I'm just, we're way too busy with the, uh, the Alabama project and a couple of other projects that we're working on. Uh, Arthur Berry, should I be on a statin with a calcium score of 50? Uh, I'm not going to advise you, but I can say a very simple point. I don't recommend statins usually so much for uh, LDL level like most docs do. I recommend statins if you have plaque. And with a calcium score of 50, yeah, you've got plaque. <clears throat> Barnett Roy, Barnett Roy, comment on, on overage and uh, intermittent fasting with a lot of issues. I follow up. I follow you. Lost 70 five pounds. Wow. Thank you for linking me, following me and losing 75 pounds. That's great. And thank you personally for that. From 215 down to 145, still high triglycerides, 170, BMI 21. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for um, the acknowledgement. And thank you for what you're doing. That is not easy. And you've got to change everything in your life to to make those kind of lifestyle changes. And when you do what I do for a living and you run into the vast majority of people, don't make those changes. You run into somebody that does. It makes a big, big difference. Thank you so much, Barnett. Um, yeah, and <clears throat> we may want to... Uh, uh, you bring up a topic, uh, people that have continued high triglycerides, even though they've, they've got it in the face of low-carb diets um, and even significant weight loss. There are some genetic reasons, just like with most of our other um, metabolic processes and genetics, those things interact. And there are clearly some genetic reasons for having um, high triglycerides uh, that would... You know, that's when you start thinking about some of the medications that, I, that I've mentioned already, clearly some of the supplements. Uh, Lucian P, does zone two endurance training the best kind of exercise to reduce cardiovascular risk? 
I read the body can do a natural bypass you know, from exercise. Well, it's called collateral circulation and the body actually does work on uh, developing collaterals, um, a bypass, a natural bypass. You see it, you hear it all the time. And it's like that concept that nobody's helped me with where you stress something a little bit, not enough to kill the organism, but to make it improve. That's, you know, stressing the body from exercise, as you just discussed, you just brought up, can help the body in grow that bypass. Somebody help me with that term. It's not hermeneutics. It's, I've got stuck on that term now. So old Roscoe, kind of off topic, but maybe not. Are you having problems getting contrast dye? That would assume that I'm doing either A, a lot of uh, stress tests with contrast dye, and I don't. It would also, or I'm doing a lot of CT angiograms. And I don't even, I don't do CT angiograms. I don't run a, an imaging center. I don't run a cardiovascular testing center. I do order a few CT angiograms, which do have contrast dye. I haven't heard anybody talking about a problem with accessing them. HMS, what's the effect of vitamin K2 on plaque? Long story, um, I'll try to make it short. I've got several videos on vitamin K2. If you haven't seen them, um, take a look. One of them's kind of confusing because I go to I go down too many bunny holes. But despite that, it got a lot of interest, and so I kept it up there. Um, there is the statement, the, you know, the internet urban myth that uh, K2 takes calcium out of the artery wall and puts it back into the bone. I don't really think that's exactly the case. I think what's going on is K2 does have an impact on calcium. I think what K2 is doing is actually impacting some enzymes that are effective at helping the osteoclasts and osteoblasts and other cells which do that add calcium to bone, take calcium out of bone. Um, but I think it's more of a substrate kind of issue. And those enzymes that help stimulate those cells, some of those enzymes have vitamin K2 as a cofactor. So you do want to make sure that you've got enough vitamin K2. So in looking around at that, I began to look at, at are there any studies about vitamin K2 and insulin resistance. And I actually found one. Uh, I probably lost it and haven't found it again because, you know, again, some of the stuff I'm doing. But it did. It looked at some middle-aged men. It gave them 400 micrograms of K2 a day, and it actually saw some decrease in insulin resistance. I will tell you this. There are other studies going on. Uh, I take vitamin K2. <clears throat> I'm a big fan but it's too early to speak with authority on that issue right now. Bambi, how about planning an in-person event in the fall where we can get a CIMT, some education, meet everybody, maybe a yearly event? Uh, you know, that's so interesting, Bambi. We used to do that pre-COVID, you know, like, and because of what's the growth in the channel, the growth in the Alabama project, we have thought about it. We actually had a big one with over 150 people planned, signed up in Ohio mid-March of, I think it was 2020. It was about the time. And see, we had actually planned a cruise in China 
And we were going to be in, guess where, Wuhan about the month before. And it was like, anyway, uh, I have mentioned this a couple of times to Janice. We could actually do those. So uh, let us know where you're from. If you'd like one of these, David Mites is getting back out on the road and starting to get some of these CIMT events out there. So we may be able to get something done. Warren loves Lex Friedman. I do too. Blade Runner, what do you recommend for LP little a? As I said before, uh, the most common thing, we used to think that there was nothing you could do for it except uh, niacin, high levels of niacin. And then a lot of people said, oh, well, uh, it only decreases LP little a by about a quarter to a third, which is true. However, I can tell you, if you watch a cardiovascular inflammation panel, you'll see that those 30, uh, 25 to 33% decreases in LP little a do correlate with decreases, uh, significant decreases in cardiovascular inflammation. Now, a lot of people would say you got a chicken or egg problem where it's the inf decreased inflammation, which is resulting in a decreased LP little a. <laughs> I'm not going to get into that uh, detail, that theory right now. Because I'll say, if you look, I've got about a dozen videos on niacin going into a lot of genetics and detail. And the, you know, the great niacin debate is one of my, the titles. And you've got the Americans saying, look, we looked at niacin with, um, oh, now I'm, in, I'm blanking on the term, um, the chemical that decreases the flush. I mentioned it a few minutes ago. They put that chemical in there and it stopped working. So they said niacin doesn't work. Well, talk about throwing the baby out with the bath water. Uh, the actual, the fellow that did that study said, I'm so afraid that, that this study is going to be misinterpreted to say that niacin doesn't work. And I actually covered a clip of the, the study author uh, saying that it's the HPS to thrive and uh, another one. And again, <clears throat> so back to your question, what do I recommend for LP little a number one, manage all of your other um, cardiovascular risk, because this is very much a cardio, a, a multi-factor risk situation. Number two, consider uh, niacin. Number three, they've tried other things like, uh, for plasma phoresis. Those just, you know, they work for a week or so, but then they, they don't really work. If you're not aware of it, there's a new drug class that's come out and it's really having a huge impact, like 75, 80% decreases in LP little a. And that drug class is called the anti-sense drugs. Anti-sense has some, uh, uh, some implication regarding genetics and, you know, I, I hate to poison the well for some people if, if it does that, but the facts are the facts. If you're afraid of uh, some of the newer vaccine formations, they don't get any deeper into genetics than antisense drugs. So antisense is, you know, both of them have to do with um, having an impact on cellular genetic, quote, genetic mechanisms. Lucian P. Sim Lin is a good person for these topics if you can connect with him. I've heard that name, but I don't think I've, and I know I haven't studied it. Bart Robinson, thanks for addressing my fish oil comment. 
Luchan NutriSense offers a CGM, which anyone can get if you're interested. Yes, that's the point. I keep meaning to do a video on that because now you're getting some CGMs that are available without prescription. For those of you who need a prescription, we've, I feel strongly about providing them. So I provide a lot of those. Lucian P would think most people over 40 would benefit from having a G CGM. Oh, I would too. And let me tell you this, under 40 as well, just to figure out what a good diet is for them. Nutritionists should be able to prescribe it. I agree. And, you know, darn, I tell you what, uh, Two, uh, two, three more. Matt Brewster, thanks for the information on niacin. I took my LP a little A down from 150 to 77 uh, using uh, two grams a day. When it gets uh, blood work up, what are the key items to ask for that aren't normally included? Well, uh, a couple of things. Number one, a um, what we call an inflammation profile. Number two, by far the most important test really is not these things. The most important test is an insulin survey. And you can get those. We have a lot of people get those. Uh, number three, don't get just a, uh, a cholesterol profile. Get a fractionation. And those get you a lot deeper in terms of where you need to be. Now, I did want to say uh, <clears throat> we got another... Uh, we got another um, super chat. This one from Barnett Roy. Thank you so much, Barnett. I appreciate that. Um, Fort Worth West Side. How much do they charge for their CPM, CGM Lucian P? <clears throat> it's a good question. Thank you so much for your interest today. I apologize. I'm going to have to run. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website at prevmedhealth.com. To learn more, watch our videos on YouTube at Ford Brewer MD MPH. Thank you very much for your interest.